Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, August the 10th, 2017. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Stoltz. You can check out the show all the time with our partners, MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcast service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, midweek version of the show. We've been doing a few of these because uh, obviously the 2017 season hasn't gone exactly as planned. And if you're tuning in and expecting me to break down the Jay Bruce trade that came down late last night uh, for a minor league uh, Class A reliever, you're wrong. Although we'll get to that. And I think there's going to be a few other waiver deals. There's As of the recording of this podcast, there's some talk of the Yankees and Neil Walker and maybe there being some interest there. Obviously, the controversy with the Jay Bruce trade is that you're hearing that the Mets possibly could have gotten a little bit bigger return if they had traded Bruce to the Yankees, but they would have had to pick up some salary, so the whole Mets finances thing, and I know Sandy Olderson will speak about that later today, but I'm not here to talk about any of that because I wanted to do something different. I wanted to shake it up. It's been a rough season for uh, the Mets, the Mets fans, I think it's been kind of a Groundhog Day theme. We complain about the, the, the pitching, the regressing of the pitching, Collins, 
uh, the disappointments, the injuries, you know, who are we going to trade, you know, what's, wh- who's being traded, uh, you know, what kind of return. It, it really isn't what, at this time of the year, you want to be talking about, especially two years removed from a World Series appearance. So I was able to go out over the last couple of weeks, and I was able to, you know, think about, well, what's, what's coming up? What kind of benchmark, uh, you know, maybe get a former Met? And uh, a couple of things came together. One, I realized that on Monday when the Mets play the Yankees in a four-game set, two at Yankee Stadium, two at Shea, uh, Shea Stadium, geez, City Field, that it's 20 years since the first Subway Series. So that's somewhat of a milestone. Now, whether or not the papers and the radio will pick up on that, I don't know. I mean, the Yankees are in a a race for a division, a race for a wild card. So their vision and what they're looking to do is a lot bigger than nostalgia. The Mets are going nowhere. The Mets are actually looking to trade and purge and, and maybe take a look at some of who is left and whether or not they can be pieces for a 2018 reloaded team. Maybe nostalgia is not in the offering for either team, but for here and for what we do, it is. And with 20 years of the Subway Series, I'm happy to have in a couple of minutes Dave Malicki, a former Mets pitcher, pitched the first Subway Series game, a 6 nothing shutout, uh, probably the, one of the, the best games he uh, pitched of his career. And uh, Dave uh, and I connected, and he's going to be joining us, and he's going to be talking a little bit about that experience, and maybe we'll catch up about his career, and, and, and I know it was a short Mets career, but he played for the Tigers, uh, he pitched in the playoffs with the Astros, and I think every ball player, no matter how long they spent time in New York or spent time on the field, has some interesting perspective, has some interesting things to say, and, and back in the old NYBD days, we used to do these things with Mets and Yankees all the time. And they were fun, and we got a little bit away from it on this. A couple of reasons. First, it's becoming a lot harder to grab these guys, and they're also doing a lot more of these. Other outlets are doing more of these, so it's not all that different than it used to be when independent sites like myself were pretty much grabbing up and doing this kind of stuff. And, and I guess it's kind of follow-the-leader type of things with the big guys following uh, what some of the independents have done over, over many, many years. But you, you can still get some really good spots, some good pieces from uh, these former players. And for those in the audience that are young and you think about it, if you're about 20 years old, you probably don't have any recollection of the Subway Series, much less of the 1997 Mets, a team that after about seven years was starting to turn the corner. It was Bobby Valentine's first year as manager. They were now five years removed from the stench of the worst, worst team money could buy. And I think it's really that, to borrow that old Pat Riley term, the innocent climb, that was the first innocent climb for the Mets as an organization, although there were many players that weren't part of the 99 and then ultimately 2000 National League Championship team. There there was the beginnings here, especially in this Subway series, of what was going to be uh, every year a heated rivalry between the Mets and the Yankees and what culminated in that actual Subway series in 2000 where the Mets were fighting for respectability. They were fighting, uh, you know, they, they never quite are going to get out of the shadow of what the Yankees accomplished. The Yankees, what they accomplished in the 90s was basically turn a generation of fans into Yankees fans. Uh, and the Mets are still to this day suffering from it. And they may never recover from it. But uh, the, the, the Mets of 97 were letting everybody know in that three-game set that they lost two out of three in three very close games, including one later in the series that, went down, and, and I believe the Mets lost an extra innings on that one. So uh, that was the first of what was a yearly, and then became instead of three, three a year, six a year in 1999, 
and you had the Clemens incident and Piazza. And, and for those, like I said, that are young, you just don't know how intense those games were. And they always were a barometer, at least for the Mets, of where they were. Can they step up? Can they play on the big stage? And it was almost a warm-up for bigger games to come. Because in the standings, it was no different than any other game. You could be playing the Phillies or the Pirates. It was one game, but it took on a larger meaning. And I think it prepared them for the intensity of games with the Braves and the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks and other teams in, in that, that season in 99 when they went down to game 163 and they had to beat the Reds in, in Cincinnati at Riverfront Stadium. I think it prepared them. It was almost like a warm-up, and it put them in the spotlight, and it put the players in a situation where they were expected to come up big. And the fans treated it as such, and the newspapers treated it as such. I, I always remember the day after uh, that particular 97 game uh, being in a a local library in Brooklyn and the security guard was a Yankees fan and one of the patrons there was a a veteran Uh, I don't know what what uh, whether he was an army navy I can't remember right now but they were arguing and and the the army vet was like hey you know Steinbrenner is going to fire Tory over this and the Yankee you know security guard was a Yankees fan was like hey you know you know this is just one game of many and and for the Yankees it really was it was always one game they always downplayed it Tory did a good job of that because Steinbrenner took it very seriously. They had more to lose. Their vision was always, well, we have bigger, a bigger vision. We have a world's championship focus. And, um, you know, they didn't want to get off that focus. They didn't want to get away from what uh, the Yankees at that time, and, and rightfully so, they were about winning championships. And not that the Mets weren't trying to win and compete and, and ultimately win a title, because that's what the 99-2000 seasons were about, and to a lesser extent, 2001, when, when things started to go south and, and fall apart. But uh, they were also looking to get respectable and to get into the conversation. So the Yankees were already in the conversation. They already had a world championship the year before. They already had their innocent climb. They already kind of burst onto the scene. Now the Mets, a year later, are trying to come in and, and steal market share here, for lack of a better word. You know, steal some of the spotlight or whatever's out there. And, you know, Yankee fans aren't going to like it. They, they, they liked the world in 1996 where they were the world's championship. Uh, the, the 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 Mets were irrelevant, and everything was about them. And when the Mets came in, I know it's corny to say market share, but that's what it was. It was trying to garner a piece of the market, and um, and it was fun and it was intense. And over the years, I think it's gotten played out. I think we've seen different cycles. I think we've seen different iterations of the Mets and Yankees. We've seen both teams go into downward spirals where the games literally meant nothing for both or one of the teams. And to a certain degree, it got played out. Now, this young Yankees team that's up and coming, and we'll see what they're all about, and maybe if the Mets could reload, and, and it would have been really fun next week if the Mets were in it, because I think it would have been an opportunity for both teams to, to possibly showcase the best of what each of them can be. But uh, And if you took, a, a, I guess, a poll at the beginning of the year, you would have thought it was the Mets that would be relevant right now, and the Yankees maybe not so much, and it's been the opposite, and now the Mets have a chance to play spoiler, maybe trade some of their veterans across town. They could just walk right across to the clubhouse, and uh, maybe next year as the as the Yankees continue to build and grow, and maybe as the Mets try to figure out what's going to happen now, maybe there'll be better days ahead, and maybe there could be a rekindling of the Subway Series, and I like the four games, two and two. I think the six gets played out, three might not be enough, and I think have, and I, I said this years ago, and I'm glad, and they've done it, and they've done they've done. Some were the three and three, and they've gone to, and I think it's a lot to do with the schedule. And they go to the four and one week, but I just like the four and one week, two and two, home and home, 
you almost make it a week of Subway Series baseball. It's like a festivity. And if both teams are in it and things are intense, and that's the thing. I don't think there's the same hatred of each other. I know the Yankees were bothered by the Mets back in the 90s, but there was a general hatred of the Mets for the Yankees. Valentine, I think, played a lot into that, uh, how Joe Torre was treated as, uh, uh, as almost a saint, as a deity. That was annoying. The, the media played it up. I mean, the media did a good job of building the narrative back then uh, as well. So you don't see that as much anymore. And, uh, it, you know, again, hopefully we'll get Dave on in a minute here, but hopefully it'll hearken to a, another time. For those that lived it, bring back some good memories. For those that haven't, maybe you can get an idea of how things were, maybe learn a little bit about a former Met that may only be known for one game, but at the end of the day, one game or not, he is in the Pantheon. He's in that Mets Hall of Fame. He will always be remembered, and he'll have a piece of not only uh, New York history and Mets history, but baseball history as the first Subway Series game winner, shutout, complete game, whatever have you. So anyway, let's take a quick break. Let's go back and hear a memory from that 1997 Subway Series game. And when we return, Dave Malicki, former Mets pitcher, will look back at that game and will remember the 97 Mets and maybe look back at some of the highlights of his career. We'll be back right after this. You guys heard uh, the audio clip uh, 20 years ago, and uh, it's now 20 years since the first Subway Series. And joining us, uh, he pitched in that first game. He pitched a uh, complete game shutout. Complete game, something you don't see too much of today, and it's Dave Malicki. Dave, uh, Mike Silva here in New York. Pleasure to have you on. I, I know that you, you know, obviously have talked about this a billion times. We'll do it a billion and one. Are you tired <laughs> of it? I mean, <laughs> your career was a lot more than one game, but obviously here in New York, we, we like talking about that game. Yeah, no, uh, no, no, I'll never get tired of talking about it, I guess, right? Um, you know, it, it is amazing. I feel like I've, I did a lot of uh, some neat things, but uh, this was this was definitely up there, and it's a great memory I have, and um, it was it was something special. It was, you know, especially to do it, you know, something like that in New York. Uh, and, and I think doing, you know, the first game is, I think, why everybody really remembers it. You know, I think if it happens, uh, you know, today it's still – something really cool don't get me wrong but i think the fact that it was the first game of the, you know the two teams met is is what makes it so special if you look back and i know it's a long time ago uh, you, you know your starters obviously they planned and <laughs> it is a long time ago it is it is it's amazing because i remember watching <laughs> that game live and I'm, I'm i'm 40 years old dave and i'm like geez where where is the time gone by but when you were when yeah, you were looking no at kidding. the schedule as the week came on did, did you were you were you expecting that i mean uh, that was a big deal back in – maybe today it's not. No one's really talking about next week's Subway Series, but uh, maybe today, you know, that, at that point, you know, everybody was circling it on the calendar. Were you as well? Yeah, for sure. I remember when the schedule came out, um, I was really, really hoping I could at least just pitch in the series because, you know, you're, you know, five, six-man rotation. You never know really how it's going to fall. And um, it as it got closer, I was like, 
well, it's going to be close. Like I'm either going to pitch the game, you know, the night before or or that first game. And I was uh, I was just hoping we wouldn't have a rain out or anything like that. And you know, that Bobby stuck with me. And and uh, you know, it was just a game I, I had looked forward to, and it's something I really really wanted to do. And um, it was it was you know something special, and um, it was you know obviously something I'll never forget. That team was actually the first year that the Mets had, you know, some respectability in a while. Uh, it was almost the innocent climb. Right. To use that old Pat Riley term uh, from the '99 and 2000 team. I know that you left uh, a year later, but that team wasn't expected to do well. And I think before you even get to that series, um, what do you remember about that group? Because a lot of Mets fans actually remember that group fondly because there was low expectations. It was a fun team. You were in the wild card race. That series. Uh, was one of the highlights, but there were so many other memories. And if you go, if, I don't know if you've looked into any of your old numbers, game scores, things like that. It wasn't even the best game you pitched. You actually, the best game you pitched that year, according to the game score, was a game you lost one nothing to the Phillies later in the year. So it's pretty amazing. There was right. a lot of other memories yeah. I'm thinking that year as well. Yeah, no, I, I did. I had some other some other good games for sure. Um, I, again, I think it was just the, the game, you know, the, that game. Um, you know, for us, we were, you know, the Yankees at the time, um, you know, were the powerhouse. I think they won the World Series that, you know, the past year. Um, obviously, they're a great team. The old team's still together. Um, for me, playing in old Yankee Stadium was something really cool as well, just the history. I, you know, I love the history of baseball and all that. And, you know, that was something special as well. And, but, you know, we had a great group of guys. Um, you know, I think one thing that helped me out a ton was, you know, Todd Hunley. I, you know, he was we just worked really well together and that day for whatever reason um i was just really calm and it was just a it was a it was a great feeling but i just i just i knew i was going to do well it's just it's amazing how you can kind of uh i don't know i don't know what the right word is but it was just it was just it was just eerily calm and it was it was just so much fun it was just a fun night but yeah todd was great and yeah we had gilkey and uh you know old rude and i mean we had so many you know great veterans and then pitching wise you know john franco is you know, still one of the guys I've always looked up to. And, you know, you got guys in the, on the back end that can, can close the game. So I just figured if I could just go, you know, six, seven innings and turn it over to the bullpen at the time, it was great. And the big thing was for me was getting the three runs early uh, in that first inning. And that made it um, just it took a lot of pressure off. So if I did make a mistake, it wasn't going to cost us a game. And I think that that really helped a lot. You actually pitched the postseason game later in your career, but was that as – as intense of a of a game uh, that you remember, I, I think it was later on with Houston. You pitched in a, in a postseason game, but yeah, uh, the crowd and what have you. It was for sure. Um, you know, I think it, it was it, it was it was nuts. <laughs> it was like a postseason game. I, you know, I didn't, I never made it to the World Series, um, like you said, but I didn't pitch the postseason with Houston, and it it was a different feeling. I, the, I think it was. It was more excitement in the interleague game, to tell you the truth. Um, it was um, – also, I think it's because we were playing in Yankee Stadium. And then so many Mets fans came to Yankee Stadium, which I thought was really cool. And to hear them, you know, do the Let's Go Mets chant in Yankee Stadium was pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, it was fun, but it was it was loud. It was, you know, it was a, it was a perfect night. Um, it was just it, – it was just a great day. It really was for me. <laughs> I have with me Dave Malicki, former Mets pitcher. You guys remember him, six uh, nothing shutout back in 1997, first interleague game. Uh, you actually danced in and out of trouble throughout that game. If you think back, is there a moment 
a pitch, an inning, a sequence that you remember where, you know, things could have maybe turned and uh, or maybe there's just one memory specific. I know, you know, the game itself, but is there one thing that when that game is brought up, maybe a moment that you think back of big moment that you got out of trouble or just something that always comes to your mind? Um, oh, boy. Well, the thing that always comes to my mind was just obviously just, you know, striking out Jeter to end the game. That was like, um, the, you know, that was that was a thrill. But, that you know, the game was in hand at that point, obviously, and I had the bullpen warming up and everything was going. But um, that's that's the you know, the big memory I have. Um, some other ones just some, or some other strikeouts. Um, you know, early, you know, in the middle middle parts of the game, I, and I did. I gave up a bunch of hits. I felt like I could, you know, the big guys I was getting out and then um, – not the little guys, you don't want to say that, but the, the back end of the order, I had trouble with those guys. And, um, you know, that that's that's where I, you know, I got into trouble. I feel like I gave up a hit almost every inning. I was like, holy cow. But it was just, I, I felt like I could get out of anything, which was which was really um, and a good feeling. And, um, you know, I think to start the game, I think Jeter got a hit, reached out an air on second, and then got, and then I, you know, got the next three guys out. And I didn't let them advance. And that, that gave me a ton of confidence, just that first inning really kind of set the tone for me. Um, and then again, if I if I threw a bad pitch, Todd got all over me. I remember one, I hung a, a slider to Cecil Fielder and he hit it about, oh man, seven miles foul left. <laughs> and uh, Todd came out, got on me and, and, and said, you know, we got to you know, buckle up, do this. And so the next pitch, I, I threw the same thing again and just located better and struck him out. And it was it was just it was times like that where I you know I, I did get a little lucky at times I think because I think that that you know when I hung when I made a mistake they they hit it but um, you know fortunately that one he, he pulled it foul but now there are so many different you know memories I can go through um, it feels like it, it just happened tell you the truth I, it, that's one game I really really remember um, I think what also brings it up is just you know continually talking about it for sure but the thing that amazes me the most too is you know I still get letters and cards and stuff I mean at least once or twice a week. Uh, from from New York fans still want me to sign stuff, which I think is is, is amazing that they can uh, that it still meant so much to so many people. Yeah, that that is that is true. Uh, the city was 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 a buzz about that. Uh, playing for Bobby V, you know, I've met Bobby V. Uh, he's a pretty uh, uh, big personality. You know, he's a controversial personality. Yeah. That was always a, a wild time. You know, talk a little bit because I, the fans always are interested in hearing how was it playing for Bobby Valentine because obviously he's a polarizing <laughs> guy as you I'm sure you know yeah yeah uh yeah obviously good and bad um no I think he was at the time for that team I think he was the right manager um you know he's been, he's been around the game forever and um knows his baseball I you know I think sometimes he, he he tries to do different things which people you know question for sure different types of plays and different things and and uh, but yet it seems to to work out a lot of the time. And um, he is he was just he was a big personality. And um, but I think he was absolutely the right uh, manager for the time with with that team. You know he could keep you know the young guys. He kept those guys loose and and um, you know would give them confidence. And the older guys he would you know let them lead, but yet kind of let them lead in the right direction if that makes sense. So um, he was. Uh, he, it was there was never a dull moment. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> now, for you, that was some thought a breakout game, and 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 you had a decent Mets career. Your numbers, if you look at the, again, they go to advanced metric. You were very uh, solid above league average pitcher. You started to struggle after that. What what happened for you in New York? Because 
you went on to Detroit, and you actually pitched pretty well in 99 in, in, a, in a hitter's league, in a hitter's ballpark. Uh, that must have been yeah. an interesting experience. But what happened to you in New York? What, what really, if you look back, was there anything that you could point to where maybe it, it didn't go exactly as you wanted? I feel like, yeah, I, I, I feel like I left uh, with unfinished business. I mean, I love my time in New York. I really did. Um, it was a great place to be and, and live and, um, and and the fans. I think what happened, well, I you know, who knows what happens, but, you know, I feel like I pitched really, really well for about three and a half years, and then the last year I started struggling a little bit, and I think you just, you know, you, you know if you lose a little bit, if you lose, you know, focus, you lose your location, anything, I mean, big league hitters are hard to get out. <laughs> they make you pay. And I think I just started pressing a little bit, and then um, I tried to do more than you really need to do, uh, if that makes sense. Like, you, instead of just hitting my spots and hitting, um, you know, what you need to do, I tried to, you know, throw it harder. And every time you throw it harder, you know, location gets off, and that's that's when you get hurt. You know, location is much better than, than speed. And um, I, I think that was the big thing. It was a big growing point for me because that was really the first time I, I kind of struggled a little bit and um, that's uh, you know you kind of have to go through growing pains a little bit and it's hard it's hard to do that sometimes at the at the major league level I'm laughing as you say location is better than speed Billy Wagner I'm sure you remember him yeah. sent a tweet out yesterday I yeah. guess he's doing some baseball training and uh, I'm laughing because some kid I guess was going to velocity training and he was tweeting about, well, what is that? Oh, you know, what is velocity training? And yeah. um, you think about you pitching late into that game that we talked about, and you're pitching close to 190, yeah. 200 innings. You were a young guy. It's, I mean, I, I don't know if you're involved at all in the game with your kids or, or in any capacity, but it's changed so yeah. much, I'm guessing. Even from just 20 years ago, you were a modern-day player, in my opinion, but it doesn't feel like it anymore you know, right. with the way things have, have transpired. No. It really doesn't. Um, yeah, so... I, I, you know, once the game ended for me, I, I definitely stepped away for for a little bit, and then um, coached some high school baseball. And then my boys uh, got as they got a little bit older, I just started coaching their teams. But now, uh, my boys are freshmen and sophomores in high school, which I can't believe. Um, so I'm helping coach the high school team here again, and then I absolutely love it. It's um, coaching high school baseball is just it, for me, it's so much fun and rewarding. But you're right, every every kid I teach or help coach wants to throw harder or wants to throw, you know, first thing is a curveball at, you know, seven years old. And, and I wouldn't teach it until they got, you know, old enough and strong enough. I think there's so much more, but, you know, I try and bring up guys like, you know, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin, you know, those guys, I, those guys did not throw hard, but man, they got everybody out. They won Cy Youngs, you know, it's not about it, the speed. And, but I think it's also hard, too. Um, I happened to go to an uh, Indians game last week uh, with the kids, and, you know, they got the, the radar gun up on the, um, you know, scoreboard, obviously, and how hard everybody is throwing is, is just amazing to me. It's, it's uh, Everybody's a lot bigger, stronger, and it, it is. I mean, I think that, you know, everyone throws really hard. But, I, you know, my personal belief is, you know, if you can hit that spot on the outside corner, it doesn't really matter how hard you throw. If you can move your pitches in and out and uh, change speeds, uh, I, you know, if you talk to hitters, changing speeds and location is the hardest thing to hit. If you throw, you know, 100 miles an hour and it's it's down the middle, they're going to hit it. And um, so I'm trying to teach guys to, to hit spots and have a go-to pitch 
you know, if you can throw a pitch down and away to a right-handed hitter, that's you, you know, you can live there all day. There's not a whole lot you can do with that pitch. So, um, although some of these guys are getting so strong now, they hit it to right field, <laughs> hit it out over there. But yeah. um, it it has it has it has changed a lot, and it's 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 amazing, you know. But I think every generation says that. You know, I remember when when I was pitching, everyone says, you know, the older guys were saying that you know it's changed since since they were there. So, you know, I think it evolves for sure. But I, you know, I think good pitching gets beats good hitting any day. Yeah, I'm looking at your numbers as you're talking. That Detroit season in '99, 14 wins. Not a good team. Tiger Stadium, where I guess the outfield's like up against your back out there. Uh, that was pretty yeah. impressive. It seems like you learned a little bit, you know, in an offensive era for a variety of reasons. Uh, th- you know, that was a very solid year. Um, what do you remember yeah. about your time over there in Detroit? Um, again, I, I, I did. I enjoyed it. Um, it was, it was a shock as I was actually at the time of when the year started, I was in LA uh, with the Dodgers and, you know, the, the weather's beautiful and everything's great. And then ended up getting, you know, I got the call that I got traded and uh, we just got finished playing the Diamondbacks and they told me I just got traded to uh, uh, Detroit. And I was like, holy crap, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be cold. It was, but it, it turned out to be great. And pitch, especially pitching in that stadium. Um, there was, again, there was so much history. That's what I, I loved about it. Um, but, you know, any pop fly to right field went out. I don't know if you remember that old stadium or not, um, but yeah, the right field fence was was short, and there was actually an overhang um, from the upper deck over the field, and um, it was it was a great stadium to watch a game in, uh, but it wasn't that great of a stadium to pitch in unless you hit it to center field. The dimensions were really really goofy, and that center field was I mean it was like four twenty I think to or four thirty it was something huge at the center, but then right field was you know just a, a regular pop fly would go out, but I think that actually helped and there I, I really got a lot of help with uh brad osmus um you know he caught me there and in houston and you know brad and todd i think were, were two great catchers that i had i was really lucky to be able to have those guys um help me out i learned a lot from them as well um it's amazing how much a catcher helps and um you know i learned a lot about pitching a lot, a lot about myself especially in in detroit that those were the years i just started i guess kind of coming into my own really at times um, and it was just a, I don't know, it was, it was a good time for me. I, just, I learned a lot about pitching in, the, in those types of stadiums. And you're almost, you, if, if the Mets don't trade for you, you're almost part of that Cleveland team. That, you know, things, it's amazing how careers could go. You stay with the Indians, good yeah. team. They always needed pitching. They score a billion runs. They actually yeah. did a, a special on, uh, I don't know if you saw the MLB network about that team, uh, with John Hart and some yeah. of your, your you know, former teammates there. Yeah. But uh, it's amazing how, how close you could have been to being with that team. And you come to the Mets, which was a transitional period. So it's amazing how things turn out, huh? Well, for sure. Yeah. You know, coming up with Cleveland was, um, it was great. I had that chance in 92 and they actually called me up in September. And that's when that team was just start, starting to turn around with Tommy and, and Kenny Lofton and, and all those guys and Bayerga and, you know, I get to you know, play with them, and I came up with them. And, yeah, I think I really was going to be a part of it. And then I uh, uh, hurt my shoulder. Um, I tore my labor on my last start um, with the Indians. And, you know, so, you know speaking of that, I, you know, I, I pitched the second-to-last game in the old stadium. So I pitched in the old stadium in Cleveland, if you remember that place. Um, yep. So there was like 70,000 people, I think, it was a football stadium. So um, that, that was a great time. And then – yeah, I got hurt and came back and pitched well, but then it, t- it took a little bit longer from that labrum. And then fortunately, you know, I got, 
you know, traded over to, to New York. And it was just, it was, for me, yeah, looking back, it would have been great to, to go through that and be with those guys. But, um, you know, I think when you're in a playoff run, you know, with playoff teams going to the World Series, you know, the young guys, you know, there's not a really a chance to make a mistake or grow or do anything like that. And I think New York did give me that opportunity. So, you know, I think everything does happen for a reason. Sure, it would have been great to be a part of that team and, and uh, to go through that. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't trade my time in New York. Uh, it was it was awesome. You never thought about what would be if they had made your reliever, especially the way relievers were coming in and making money and throwing bullets out of the bullpen? Because you did throw pretty well out of the bullpen <laughs> uh, with the Mets. Yeah, no, I did. Um, my personality was funny. Is I'm more of a guy that likes uh, routine, and um, I like to know I'm a schedule type of guy. Like I, I like to know when I'm going to pitch, what I was doing, when I was coming to the ballpark, um, what I had to do that day. And um, when I was in the bullpen, it was it was a lot harder for me, uh, just mentally. Um, I liked it in that I would only go, uh, you know, a couple innings, but I never knew which innings. Um, you know, and at the end of my career, when I was in Houston, I, I was a reliever for, oh, geez, uh, about a month. But I only would come in for about an inning and – Actually, that's when I threw the hardest of my whole life was it was that because I could come in and just, just let it go and not have to worry about trying to get guys out two or three times. I could just throw everything I had at them one time, and I'd never see them again through the lineup. That's what's, you know, so different about starting, you know, starting and relieving. You know, starting, I'm going to see a guy, you know, three times, maybe four times, and i got to get him out. Where, if, you know, as a reliever, they only see me one time, and I can I can throw everything at them. Um, but you know, personally for me, it was, it, I just like starting a lot more, you know, a lot more. It was just, it was, it fit my personality better and, and it was just what I like to do. But yeah, looking back, gosh, I, it, it was awful when it was over. I wish I could, I could still be doing it for sure. A <laughs> C- couple of things before I let you go. So who was the one hitter that wore you out? Maybe it might not be an obvious guy. Was there someone you think back who wore you out that you, when you, when they got up, you're like, I just can't get this guy out. You'd be surprised. I get answers for that. That's oh. not always the obvious answers for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's there was a, a few guys, but I, you know, the one that always comes to mind is Barry Bonds. He just, I, the guy was just such a good hitter, and um, he he would just make you, you know, make, if you made a mistake, it was not a good ending. I just, I felt like I always had trouble with him. Um, and the other one I that, that you're gonna laugh at this one, but who I still think was the best hitter was Tony Gwynn, and I didn't have that much trouble with him. Because all I would do is throw a two-seamer down the middle and he'd get himself out. Because <laughs> there's no way you're going to pitch to get him out. He was such a good hitter. He, uh, you know, he was he was amazing. Um, but those, I think those two kind of stick out. I, I had a little bit more trouble with the left-handed guys in my mind. I don't know if, if statistics show that or not. But um, I felt like against the righties, I could throw my slider and curveball and, and my two-seamer in on him. And I had just had a little bit easier time with them. Um, I felt more confident. I guess it shouldn't say easier. Just I felt more confident going against those guys. But yeah, Barry, Barry Bonds kind of always sticks out in my mind. What was your favorite ballpark to pitch in, and what was your least favorite one? Oh, I get asked that all the time. Um, looking back, people I mean, love my people favorite, love that gosh, stuff. Any, I know they, they do. They do. Yeah, um, I was the favorite one to pitch in would have to be Yankee Stadium. <laughs> That has some good memories, right? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I you know I'll, you know you know Wrigley was fun to pitch in because just again the history you know old Tiger Stadium is as hard as it was that was that was pretty cool to pitch in that too. 
just because you're in the dugouts and you realize, you know, who actually played in that stadium and sat in the same seat that I was sitting in. That, you know, that stuff was, was pretty cool. Um, least favorite, I never really liked going to, to Montreal. It was just always kind of sterile in that dome. It was just the, the crowds weren't really that big, and and um, I don't feel like it was a baseball town. But I, honestly, all the all the towns, and then actually Philly, Philly's a tough time to pitch in too because the fans there, man, they're rough. They can, they can get on you pretty bad. Um, but if you remember like Philly, St. Louis, Cincinnati, all the, the Pittsburgh, all the stadiums were the same. Those were those generic, you know, football slash, you know, baseball stadiums. And um, so they were just kind of, you know, okay to pitch in. But again, you're, you know, you're pitching in the big leagues. It didn't really matter. Um, but some of the newer stadiums, you know, were, were fun to play in. Um, I, you know, I, I think those were fun for different reasons for sure. So uh, you'll probably get other calls over the next week. You'll probably, uh, at some point, the clip is going to be played. Uh, have you watched the game with your kids? I know your kids are younger. I, I don't, you know, do they look back at any games? Do you enjoy looking back at your career? They're playing ball now, or are you more like, hey, that was my career, you know, let's focus on the now. Like, uh, I think it'll be interesting because right. it's always fun when you talk to ball players. that kids look back and say, that's what you look like? That's how you played? You know, it's a... Uh, you know, for any kid, you know, looking back at yeah. how parents looked many, many years ago. Yeah, it's funny to say that. It's um, it's different because my kids have never, you know, I have pictures of me with my boys, um, you know, on the field, but they were, you know, two years old. They don't remember anything. So, you know, it's 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 funny. Like, they know what I did and they, they know that I pitched. But I think now that, um, you know, it's weird because they see me at home all the time or, you know, just coaching baseball or stuff. And I think it's just it's different to me. I'm just their dad. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, I, I didn't, I'm not a pitcher, you know, right. You know, I'm not a player. I think now it's starting to, 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 to they think they realize it more and more, especially if we're at, you know, games and then all their buddies can, um, you know, pick up a cell phone now and, and pull up every stat of my career, pull up highlight tapes. And it's pretty funny. So then change things a little bit. So they're like, wow, you really actually did do something, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I think they've watched that game. I haven't watched it in, in, um, Gosh, it's probably been, you know, 15, 15 years or something. I really haven't watched it, but I feel like I, I see it all the time in my head. I remember it so vividly. I think I can, kind of, uh, almost go inning by inning. Really, I, I just for whatever reason, that game really does stand out for me. So, um, but no, I, I think they've watched some games with my parents and stuff like that. But we really have never really sat down and, and done that. Um, I feel like, you know, it was such. You know that you're like you're saying that was my that was my time, and um, I'm sure they've they've seen some stuff, but I've never really pushed baseball on them. I want them to make their own choices and, and do what they want to do. And so my older one actually is he's actually a really pretty good baseball player, um, but they, he plays baseball and, and hockey. And the younger one plays. He gave up baseball. That one that one was tough tough on me, but he gave up baseball for lacrosse, and he's a hockey player as well. So. You know, I let them do what they want to do and, and find what, what makes them happy. You know, for me, baseball was, was my life. That's what I wanted to do, and it, it afforded me so many great things. And, um, you know, that was my dream, and I want them to have, you know, their own dream. I don't, you know, I don't push it on them. So, uh, you know, hopefully they, they enjoy it, and, you know, I know my older one does. And, and um, like I said, he's, he's pretty good. And, and um, so, you know, who knows? Let's see what happens. Are you a baseball fan now, or because you played, you kind of you know focused on other things? It's, most players tell me they really don't watch the game after they you know play the game because you lived it for for so yeah. 
Yeah, I tell people that I don't. I you know I felt I felt bad because I I really there there I don't watch it that much anymore. Um, I I started watching it again now a little bit with with my older one. Um, like I said, we went to an Indian game the other day, but you know the guys I played with and my old roommates are all uh, you know GMs and coaches and stuff like that. So uh, you know Depoto the GM and and Doug Henry he's a pitching coach and you know Mike Sarball is my third base coach over at the Indians now and. So I, that makes it fun for me. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't watch it for a while. I'm starting to again. Um, it's you know I tell people I watched you know 200 baseball games a year for for 20 years. It's like I've seen a lot of baseball, <laughs> major league baseball. So um, it's fun. That's why I, I can get my fix now by just going to the high school games and 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 that. I thought I would like to look into you know maybe coaching in college or something like that, but I think that would be that take up too much time for my family. I think that's why high school is just such a great, great fit for me right now. And it's, uh, it's fun. We've got a good program over here and, and, um, it's, it's been enjoyable. Well, listen, you've been generous with your time. I appreciate it. The fans here definitely do remember that they don't get tired of this stuff, especially Mets fans. Uh, yeah. you know, you, you no. know that playing here, nostalgia is a big part. They may not have a lot of world championships, but nostalgia is and. Look, you go down in the Pantheon, Dave. Doesn't matter if it's one game or ten games or hundred games. You know, you know, maybe it wasn't Piazza, but you're in that Mets Hall of Fame for that game. Yeah. So it's got to feel good, and and we appreciate yeah. you spending a few time, a few minutes here, and you know, well, let's catch up again. Already. Absolutely, anytime. I love talking baseball. So and uh, yeah, and, and yeah, like you said, the New York fans, fans were were awesome. Loved them. So I appreciate it. And that's Dave Malicki and. Pretty fun. I mean, again, I think we um, you got a, di- a different take, a different take of a different type of ball player, a ball player that bounced around a little bit, gave you some honest answers about his career in New York and his memories of that that particular game. And there's only so much you could talk about about one game, but I thought uh, his thoughts about Hunley and and maybe you know a couple of the moments where things could have went south. I thought it was interesting. At least I, I tried to give you guys maybe a little breather from the nonsense that has been the 2017 season. And, and hopefully that it, it, it did what it was intended to do. And, and maybe we'll do more as the season goes on. And we'll try to catch up with other ex-Mets and maybe they'll have some more cool stories and look back at some seasons before we get back and roll up our sleeves and look at how we're going to, you know, talk about and analyze and what are the Mets going to do to improve and make sure that 2018, that at the beginning of August, mid-August, we're not, looking back at games from 20 years ago, because as fun as it can be, this is something that you'd rather do during the hot stove, those cold winter nights where you're really jonesing for baseball and there's no trades and there's no winter meetings and there's really nothing going on. And you like to look back at these kind of things to warm you up and, and get you ready for whatever, how many days before spring training. So uh, now's not really the time, but it is relevant. It is history 20 years ago. So a programming note, uh, I know you guys typically look for this on Sunday, and I know the last couple of weeks with the trade deadline, Sunday night baseball, what have you, we've been on midweeks or, or early weeks, and I'm going to try to get back to the Sunday schedule uh, with what's going on. We're going to really play it more where there's news. I'm not going to go on every Sunday to rant and rave about how bad the Mets are and how annoying uh, this season has been. We'll definitely get into the Jay Bruce trade and maybe learn a little bit more about what happened. And I'm trying to see what we can get done. So look look for the next podcast. If not Sunday late, early Monday morning, uh, maybe we'll we'll get a Yankees perspective. Maybe we'll, we'll do some kind of like looking across town. I'm thinking about a couple of things, but I wanted to put this one out before the weekend, give you something to 
chew on since it's uh, it's been a little over a week since since our last podcast. So that that's a little programming note. Hope you enjoyed it. Of course, uh, we're out of time, and, and as always, I want to thank the good folks at MetsmerizedOnline.com for supporting the show and being great business partners. Of course, send me a tweet, Mike Silva, at Mike Silva Media. I want to thank Dave Malicki being generous with his time here and uh, spending some time with us. Of course, you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcast and service you desire. If you want me to be on one, let me know. I'll try to get on there. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the weekend. I will talk to you next week. Head for the podcast.